When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Pirates continue to trend hard toward 100 losses. And yet, they have what would appear to be a wholly legitimate National League MVP candidate. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Daniel Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. Comes your way bright and early every weekday morning if you're into football and or hockey. I also offer up daily shots of Steelers and Penguins right where you found this. The Pirates lost 3-2 to the Reds in Cincinnati. They're now... 0-7 at Great American Ballpark, and that doesn't even come close to describing the level of massacre that's occurred out there this year. And amazingly, they still have to go back for another one in September, so it's going to be 0-10 with everything getting that much uglier. If you're looking for anything at all to cling to, Something that might make you happy. And that's that, that's what I'm here for, you know, to help you find these things. Being such a happy guy. <laughs> Brian Reynolds is having a season that just might end up better than anyone else's season. Including his double yesterday. He's now batting. 308 with a 922 OPS on base plus slugging percentage, 19 home runs, 65 RBIs, and exactly the level of consistency that you'd need to have to pull that off. If you look at the National League's OPS leaders, and that's the best of all offensive statistics. There's stuff that's fancier than that, but when you're adding up on base plus slugging percentage, you're coming up with a true measure of a hitter, both from the production and the power standpoints. And plain and simple, Reynolds is doing it all. Looking at the rest of the league, this is where the argument for his candidacy solidifies. Fernando Tatis Jr. and Ronald Acuna Jr. from the Padres and Braves, respectfully, of course, their young stars, would very much be 
not only up there in the discussion, but they'd probably be going neck and neck. One problem, they're done for the year. They're done for the year. Tatis with a 1024 OPS, Acuna at 990. Those are still the top two figures in the National League, but they won't hold up because they won't have enough plate appearances. The next two guys on the list, and this won't surprise anyone who watched the games this weekend, are Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker of the Reds, both at 953. Problem with those guys is OPSs in Cincinnati now get treated the same way OPSs in Denver do, meaning the place is just a joke. That's not to say those guys aren't having great years. That's not to say that other teams can't do the same thing when they go to Great American. But they're the ones who play there 81 times a year. It's going to work against them. Next is Max Muncy of the Dodgers. And I'll get more into him in a second. But skipping past him, there's Juan Soto of the Nationals, who's rightly drawn raves for an explosive month he's just had. We'll see whether or not he can maintain that. But he now looks like the young guy that's taking over since the other two main young guy stars in the National League are out. But Reynolds is there at 922. And if you look at WAR, wins above replacement, that's a more all-encompassing figure because it includes defense, it includes everything. It's just how many wins above a replacement player this individual can get for your team. And there are people, advanced analytics, all the way down to just Joe Schmo, who swear by this as the defining stat. Reynolds is at a 4.4, and Muncie is leading the league at 5.1. Muncie's a first baseman by trade, so he's not going to be able to pile up a whole lot of bonus points for his defensive work, while Reynolds is regularly, and I'm talking about almost daily, showing up on highlight reels with the catches that he's making, stealing home runs, diving to his left, diving to his right, diving forward, sliding, and also just generally making all of the plays that he's supposed to make. He's been very, very, very good in center field probably above and beyond even the Pirates' own expectations. One problem with this entire conversation. Yeah, the Pirates. If you go back over, oh, the last 15 or 20 years worth of history as it relates to the MVPs awarded in both leagues, it's been a real tooth pull for the actual best player in that league to win it if that player is on a crappy team. We saw that for years with Mike Trout. We've seen it with other players. Trout is really the one who kind of broke through in getting people to you know, acknowledge that, hey, the criteria for the award doesn't say anything about the quality of the team. And in fact, 
you know, you could make an argument that the quality of the team would help a player become an MVP. Meaning, if the team is better, the lineup is more formidable, you're getting more chances with more guys on base, you have, you're going to see more fastballs down the middle, you can run up some numbers, you know? Reynolds, of course, has had nothing of the kind. Uh, he's benefited, I guess, to an extent from the season that Adam Frazier had before getting traded. But otherwise, I mean, dude's on an island here. And yet he just keeps producing. And yet, he's not going to get it. He's not going to get it. He could finish, and mark my words on this, because this will become a pretty hot debate among the, the real seam heads out there. He could finish first in war, at which point he will have the entire analytics community at his back. They will say it's unequivocally Reynolds. There's just no way it can be anybody other than Reynolds. If it comes down to Reynolds versus Muncie, they're going to give it to Reynolds in their own individualized little awards because he's playing, obviously, a position of much greater difficulty and value. And they might take into consideration, although the analytics community isn't all that big on batting lineup support, it can't be ignored that Reynolds would have more opportunities to be more productive if he were in a better lineup. That's that's not an opinion. That's a fact. And then you're going to have the people who just dump all over any candidacy because, you know, he's with the Pirates. How valuable could he have been? It, I, I'm, telling you, I'm telling you, remember this. Because once we start getting deeper into September and it's clearer and clearer who the playoff teams are going to be and so forth, this is where the discussion will swing. And it'll be completely nutso to have the Pirates involved in it. But they will be and they should be. Amazing stuff. What a year. What a year Brian Reynolds is having. When we come back, just one question. That's brought to you always on this program by the good people at North Shore Tavern, directly across Federal Street from PNC Park, home of Steak on a Stone, home of the planet's only, truly, year-round dedicated Pirates sports bar. Visit North Shore Tavern across Federal Street from PNC Park. Our question comes from Paul Kingslow, who asks, with all the discussions over next year's 40-man roster. It would be a shame to lose a prospect to Rule 5 to protect a utility player who isn't part of the future. With that said, who, in your opinion, is on the bubble? If you were making the selection, which of these players would make the cut? Well, Paul, when you're talking about the 40, with a team like the Pirates, at the stage of the build that they're in, you're really not talking about players in Pittsburgh especially when you start getting into Rule 5 discussions and debates. Uh, 
most of these players that they have to worry about when it comes to Rule 5 are a long ways off from Pittsburgh. And yeah, I do worry about it. I, I think it's a, a problem. It's something I was mentioning around the time of the Frazier trade that it can be a concern that on, on one hand, it's really cool that you want to pile up a million superstar prospects or really high ceiling prospects and have them all battle it out at every level. The problem is Major League Baseball's system doesn't allow for that. They don't allow you to have too many prospects. They don't allow you to hoard them. And the Rule 5 draft is the way that teams are prevented from doing exactly that. I'm going to trust that Ben Charrington and his assistant, Steve Sanders, you know, kind of have this in mind whenever they're building up the organization through outside acquisitions. Before I actually answer your main question, I do feel that it's worth pointing out that this fall's instructional league in Bradenton is going to be really, really influential, maybe more than usual, in determining these types of decisions. Last year when they had instructs, it was their really one and only time to evaluate most of their system, you'll recall, because of the pandemic shutting down everything except for the satellite camp in Altoona. This is, this is different. This is different. This is everybody under one roof. Not just all of the players, but all of the instructors, all of the evaluators. Everyone comes in for instructs. And it's a high priority for all involved. So even players who had really good seasons with their respective minor league clubs are going to want to continue bringing their A-game into instructs. As for who goes, I've got a real easy answer to that one, and that's who cares. We just saw this past weekend Philip Evans and Eric Gonzalez jettisoned. Boom, just like that. No fanfare, no big announcement. And that's as it should be. This is what I've been kind of calling for for a while here. And I respect that, you know, it's easy for me to do that. Easier, I should say, for me to do that than it is for the people involved. You know, these are human beings. But when you see the Evans and the Gonzalez guys go... And you realize that they're being replaced by a Hoy Park, uh, Rodolfo Castro, and guys like that who have a chance to be part of the future. Man, there's no regrets. There's no regrets. You know, if anyone wanted to make an impression and be part of this team, this organization for years to come, you know, they could have done it the way Ben Gamble did. Right? Gamble came in, what was he, fifth or sixth on the outfield DFA parade? Difference is, Gamble hit. Gamble made an impact. Gamble made it look as if he's somebody who could be of value. That's, that's what's needed. That's what's needed. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody listening to Daily Shot of Pirates. We'll do another one of these tomorrow.